And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course, and it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. We continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope, and we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hello, Tour Story listeners. Thank you for your continued support, and welcome to Season 4. I'd like to take a second to thank our friends and sponsors over at Isotope. Here at Ruinous, Chris and I rely heavily on easy-to-use tools like RX and Ozone for all of our audio repair, mixing, and mastering. Now, Tour Story listeners can get 10% off Isotope plugins or try Music Production Suite Pro for free for 30 days using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. To get your discount and check out all of their easy-to-use products, go to isotope.com slash ruinous. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com slash ruinous. And use code FRET10. And thank you for listening. Hello everyone and thanks for listening. This is a special presentation from Tour Stories. Light in the Attic's liner notes, Lou Reed, Words and Music, May 1965. A co-production and collaboration of Light in the Attic Records, Ruinous Media, and Dan Gallucci. This podcast is a companion piece to Words and Music, May 1965, an album of previously unreleased songs recorded by a young Lou Reed with his future Velvet Underground bandmate, John Cale. Available now on Light in the Attic Records. Please listen along and enjoy. Can you remember when you first met Lou Reed, what sort of impression he made on you and what what it was about him that that attracted you? He seemed extremely vulnerable. Were, uh, were, (laughs) 
music and lyrics, Lou Reed. This uh, un unnerving and, and uh, psychologically disturbing persona was struggling to have an artistic expression. Was being stifled by this confusion between his surroundings and myself. And uh, this description could very well apply to myself as well. I'm now going to assault your ears with an old song that's been done many times and many ways. But first, let me introduce you directly across from me is John Cale, who plays bass and organ. Hello, John. Good evening. And over to my right, across the table, is Lou Reed. Hello, Mr. Wilson. How are you feeling, sir? <laughs> A bootless Lou Reed, I might say. This is the first time in two years, actually. In the spring of 1965, Lou Reed and John Cale entered what was most likely Cale's 56 Ludlow Street apartment and together recorded 10 of Reed's original compositions. They had been busking on the streets of Harlem and Manhattan since the two had met, less than a year earlier. The songs were recorded on a portable reel-to-reel -reel recorder and were intended to serve as an inexpensive copyright. If I can't Reed, a guitarist, poet, and staff songwriter for Pickwick Records, and Cale, a Welsh avant-garde violist and multi-instrumentalist, had yet to officially form the Velvet Underground. That would happen over the coming months. But the roots of the Velvet Underground, a band whose influence on so much modern music to follow would be so wide-ranging as to be almost impossible to quantify, were planted in the songs Reed and Cale recorded that day. Fifty-four years later, in February of 2019, obsessive music fan and record company owner Matt Sullivan was in New York with his colleague, Grant Olson. And we got a call from a friend named Rob Santos, who worked with Lou Reed for a number of years, asking if we'd be interested in coming to uh, Laurie Anderson's office to hear some unheard uh, Lou recordings, which was like the call... I've been dreaming of my entire life. Grant and I immediately headed over to uh, listen to these recordings. When Lou passed away in 2013, Lori Anderson donated Lou's archives to the New York Public Library, which included hundreds of, of live and studio recordings from the 1950s all the way till 2013. During the donation process, they discovered there was this envelope sitting in Lou's Sister Ray office in Manhattan. And it was a sealed envelope, and it had a five-inch reel inside. I mean, once I opened it, I think 
I believe the first initial response was they might have thought it was recordings that had already been heard. So Jason Stern and Don Fleming took the tape to get transferred and uh, realized it was the first ever recordings of a number of incredibly iconic songs that we now know, but no one knew then. So uh, I'm Waiting for the Man, Pale Blue Eyes, Heroin, and uh, a few compositions Lou never recorded um, in any other capacity. This fall, these recordings will be released to the public for the first time on the record label Matt founded and co-owns, Light in the Attic. As a companion to the release, I sat down with Lou Reed archivists Jason Stern and Don Fleming to get their insights into how the tape was discovered and the songs recorded by Kale and Reed that day. I'm Tundea Debingbe, and this is Light in the Attic's Liner Notes, presenting Words and Music, May 1965. I guess we should sort of start with shortly before um, Lou died. Uh, I was I was working for him at Sister Ray Enterprises. Here's Jason Stern, Lou Reed archivist. Lou died in October of 2013, and uh, after the initial, you know, shock of it all, it was time to kind of figure out how do we how do we deal with all the stuff. Lori Anderson kept me on initially to start dealing with Lou's office and all of that. And it quickly turned into more of a search for what are we going to do with Lou's archives? Words, music, Lou Here's Don Fleming, Lou Reed archivist. And we just started a process of going box by box and cataloging everything that was there. One of the last things we boxed up were the CDs that he had behind his desk on the wall. And they were, you know, Velvet Underground, his own CDs. They were reference CDs of his work. We had never noticed that among them was a five-inch tape box. Literally, I was picking them up off the shelf and putting them in a box and said, what's this? Looks like a bootleg. That's when we saw what the tape was. We recognized it right away once we pulled it out. It was like wrapped in plastic. It had Lou's Freeport, New York address on it on Long Island, covered in postmarks and like um, notary stamps. As soon as we actually pulled it out, we knew exactly what we had in our hands. I think Lou used a tape recorder as a tool from high school onward, and it was very empowering as a young musician to be able to make a recording and play it right back and listen to yourself. He really wanted to, like, see what he sounded like. The 1965 tape is, like, just a one example of that, but it's one of the most important because it catches him when he really became a songwriter. And he first wanted to say... I've got this group of songs and I want to protect them. I want to send them to myself as to copyright protect them. And that's what this was all about. That's why it was sealed and had the certified stamp on it. And every song he starts by saying, Words and Music by Lou Reed. 
And then he and John Cale do their folky version of, you know, a bunch of songs that no one had ever heard before, plus several songs that became Velvet Underground classics. I'm waiting for the man, words and music, Louie. So I'm waiting for the man is the first song on the release. And of course, this is one that we knew right away what the song was, and it's essentially the same song. There's really no big changes. Uh, but the crazy thing about this version is John Cale is singing it with him and even takes one of the verses himself. I'm waiting for the man This was the period of time when John and Lou were busking on street corners, singing folk songs. This had been talked about and written about, but no one had ever heard it. No one had ever heard what that could sound like. So suddenly it's like, well, this is it. This is exactly what they were doing. Be your shoes, be As far as we know, as far as we found so far, these are the first versions of all of these songs ever put to tape. So here we are, first version ever of I'm Waiting for the Man. So that gets us off to a pretty good start. I'm waiting for the man In the second verse of the song, Kale basically sort of speaks the response to the question of what this white boy is doing uptown. And he says, pardon me, sir, nothing could be furtherest from my mind. In his, you know, Welch accent. I mean, it's just crazy. Oh, pardon me, sir. Nothing could be further from my mind. I'm just waiting for a dear, dear friend of mine. And literally, they were singing this at 125th Street and Broadway. That's one of the places they would busk. So I guess they were up there for other business and would sing a couple of songs. Up to a brownstone, up three flights of stairs. Everybody's been but nobody cares. It was also striking to me how well they seemed to know this, the way they were singing it. It wasn't like Lou had said, help me out, and here's the words. I think they had been doing the songs for a while already, like this, you know, on the streets, and that's why they seem as tight as they are. There is another track in a different room. It sounds different where there's a woman with them and they're just singing some of these songs more casually. They're just kind of running through them. And we do have one of those, the extra version of I'm Waiting for the Man comes from that other recording that's on the tape.
So then the next song had the title, Men of Good Fortune. Men of Good Fortune, words and lyrics, Lou Reed. And of course, we recognized the title, but we didn't recognize the song at all because it was completely different song, completely different lyrics and music. My dear mother told me an old maid I'd be. Unless men of good fortune came courting. As soon as we heard it, we were like, well, this is completely not what we thought it would be. Another big surprise. It immediately felt like an 18th century British ballad. I mean, it had this just tone to it. We were almost sure at first that it was a child ballad. It was like something that had been covered. But after a lot of looking by us and other people, we came to realize there is no other version of this. And it's a song he came up with. He really knew how to step into other styles because it was literally his job at Pickwick. Jason Stern. To bang out some soundalikes or hop on whatever was trending and make a hit. Be like, oh, I want to write something in the style of a folk ballad. Boom, here's Men of Good Fortune. Sounds like it's from another era. We were waiting to hear if heroin was on this tape and what it sounded like. Heroin were uh, words, <laughs> music, and lyrics. I know just where I'm going. The biggest difference in this one lyrically is just the way he starts it. Uh, he starts with, I know just where I'm going. And he changed that later to, I don't know just where I'm going. You know, he said that everyone said Dylan was writing things that are real. So I wanted to write about things that were real. And he said it didn't really work out so well at the time, though, when I played it for people. As far as we know, again, this would be the earliest recorded version of the song. So you see that it's pretty well formed. So I wrote this song. And uh, it was very interesting. At this time, Bob Dylan was kind of popular. And everybody said, hey, that's the real thing coming out. I said, fabulous, that means I could do this. No, not true. He had written this at Syracuse University in 1964. 
under the tutelage of Delmore Schwartz, his professor at Syracuse. And this one was important to him, obviously. He did it not only on this tape, but he did it that same evening when he went back to Pickwick in the studio. Well, I was very lucky. I was very lucky because I had studied with a really, really great poet named Delmore Schwartz. And I was very, very, very influenced by him, by his writing, the way he wrote. Yeah, so we're we're on too late. Too late. Words and music, Lou Reed. This had just a little more of like a doo-wop feel. It's a genre that influenced and shaped Lou's sensibility. If you ever want to get a real quick and concise insight into what doo-wop meant to Lou, you should look up the speech he gave at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction of Dion. I think it does a better job than I could of kind of setting the scene for what doo-wop music meant to Lou. It was 1958, and the cold wind of Long Island blew in from the ocean. Their high-pitched howl mixing with the dusty, musky, mellifluous, liquid sounds of rock and roll. The sounds of another life, the sounds of freedom. Leap immediately and eternally into the world of Shirley and Lee, the Diablos, the Paragons, the Jesters, Alicia and the Rockaways, why can't I be loved? A question that certainly occupied my teenage time. The lyrics sat in my head like Shakespearean sonnets with all the power of tragedy. Gloria, why don't you write me, darling? Send me a letter, the Jacks. And then there was Dion, that great opening to I Wonder Why, engraved in my skull forever. What a voice that had absorbed and transmogrified all these influences into his own soul as the wine turns into blood. It was the kind of voice you never forget. Over the years, that voice has stayed with me, and whenever I hear it, I'm flooded with memories of what once was and what could be. Don Fleming. And then after that, a very interesting song. It's called the Buttercup Song. Buttercup Song. Words and music. Sterling had talked about it in interviews. 
he said they recorded it later on and it was sent away as a demo tape to try to get a record deal. And this isn't the version that Sterling talked about. It was pretty easy and quick to recognize this one because the one Sterling had described, he said the title was Buttercup Song, but the alternate title is Never Get Emotionally Involved with a Man, Woman, Beast, or a Child. And that's the first line. Never get emotionally involved with a man or woman, a beast or a child, with cobblestone streets or subway turnstiles, and by World War Three you have developed style. Mythical song, and that people knew it existed, but no one knew what it sounded like. It's the light bulb moment. Definitely you get chills and it's just like, oh my God, this is that song. And there's six full verses to the song. So it's not just, it wasn't a throwaway. Never get emotionally involved with a man, a woman, a beast or a child. With cobblestone streets or subway turnstiles And by World War Three you'll have developed style This one had one of the bigger mysteries that we had to solve. The words he's using here are like not, they're not everyday speak. There's a verse here where he says, but he is a liar because he got hung up on an androgynous small buttercup. The next line is, of staminate and pistolate flowers did he. I happen to remember that stamen and pistol are like parts of a flower. And it made sense because he's talking about an androgynous buttercup. He had just finished college. It was a course he took in school. <laughs> Get closer, Mike. After that, it's a song called Walk Alone. Walk Alone, words and music for me. Basic call and response kind of song. When you walk, when you walk, you know you're going to walk alone. When you talk, when you talk, Pretty lighthearted. In fact, they joke a lot during the song, which again, I feel like this is one they were probably doing on street corners and just had down their routine and lose interjecting little lines even in between the singing lines. So it's a pretty fun one. You're gonna drop along, a lot of harmonica, a very Dylan-esque, like time for another harmonica break and do another verse chorus while he's blowing the harmonica. After that's another song that did end up on a Pickwick release called Buzz Buzz Buzz. Buzz Buzz Buzz. Where's music Lou Reed? Very Chuck Berry basic style. 
Buzz, buzz, buzz is another song that doesn't show up anywhere else. was quite a surprise because it didn't even get recorded until the third album after John Cale had left the band. But here it is before they've even started as a band and he and John are singing it together. like the same song but the words were different it's the same chorus it's the same i think first couple of lines and then everything else is completely different linger on your pale linger on your pale the second verse is wake up in the morning about half past three. In the morning, about half past three. I don't mind the darkness so much. It just makes me think about me. Makes me think about me. That sounds like it should be in the song now or that it even is, but it's not. That's one of the most exciting things to really just see like Lou as a songwriter. Some songs were done and other songs he had to just keep working on them. He wasn't happy yet. It wasn't there for him. Baby, why? 
go to Stockpile. Stockpile. Where is music released? Three chord, 12 bar blues, but just with a rock beat. This one was also real tough to figure out the lyrics to. Oh, yeah, it looks like we even had to put in like a, you know, parentheses unintelligible on one of these. This is working class song, yeah. I'm going to have to work for a while. Guess I'm going to have to go and join the stockpile. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that means, but. There are times where you can tell Lou is kind of just making it up as he's singing it. And he talks about that and he, he does that a little bit. So I think this one was a case of that. And, and also it was very late in the tape. So I think it might have been like, oh, what else can I put on? You know, what else have you got? It sounds like something that he might have been writing for Pickwick, but again, it's not one that came out. It's not one that we knew about through bootlegs or anything else. So it was another undiscovered Lou Reed song. And then that brings us to Wrap Your Troubles in Dreams. Wrap Your Troubles and Dreams, words, music, Lou Wrap Your Troubles and Dreams starts sounding a lot closer to Velvet Underground territory. When that one hit, it was just like, what just happened? You know, suddenly we are listening to the Velvet Underground. This song had never come out in any kind of bootleg or no one had heard Lou do it. The song otherwise was only released not on a Velvet Underground album, but on a Nico album. Yeah, it's on Chelsea Girl. I was just all psyched that we got one with John singing lead on it. The gap between, say, Men of Good Fortune and Wrap Your Troubles and Dreams in terms of tone, it's pretty massive. A very jarring, mind-blowing thing to hear them doing this song. If people are coming to this album expecting to hear things that sound like the Velvet Underground, 
They're not going to find it in a lot of cases, but they will on this song. This will scratch the itch for sure. The tape was mailed in May of 1965. It was a progression through that whole summer. They were named other things, uh, the Falling Spikes, and then the Warlocks. When they were busking, they were the Falling Spikes. This tape is the Falling Spikes, <laughs> if anything. They weren't developed underground until December, and then it just all happened very quickly. Andy saw them by the end of December, and then everything changed. Here's Matt Sullivan, owner and co-founder of Light in the Attic. This is something really significant, and it's not just in the sense that it's significant for being a Lou fan or a Velvet fan, or it's really significant in American music history and also just music in general. I mean, so much music we listen to would not exist without the roots that really is found in, in these recordings. I know just where I'm going. Thank you for listening. I'm Tunde Adebigbe, and this has been Light in the Attic's Liner Notes, Words and Music, May 1965. Visit lightintheattic.net and loureedarchive.org to pick up the release, Words and Music, May 1965. Available now on CD, LP, cassette, 8-track, and deluxe vinyl. Light in the Attic's Liner Notes is hosted by me, Tundea Debingbe, and is a co-production of Light in the Attic, Dan Gallucci, and Ruinous Media. <laughs>